Hello and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham United podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney and joining us from The Athletic, as always, is their West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Hello, Rashane. How's it going? I'm all good, Sam. Yourself? Well, I'm feeling good. There's nothing like winning, is there, to, to put you in a good mood. It's amazing the impact it, it has on you. Two 1-0 wins in a row against, you know, lower table opposition. One away, right up in Yorkshire. These are the sort of games that West Ham traditionally screw up. In fact, I'd go as far as to say we're more likely to win at Old Trafford, Stamford Bridge or White Hart Lane than we are at Bramall Lane. So how significant was that performance and result against Sheffield United at the weekend? Yeah, a great win and two one nil wins and also two clear sheets. Mm. Keeping clear sheets, which is really important. And as you touched on, you know, last season, West Ham would have you know lost a game like the one against Fulham or the one against Sheffield United or possibly draw. So it shows signs that, you know, the team's showing great character to be able to win those games. And bear in mind, it's been challenges over the past few games. It hasn't been plain sailing whatsoever. There's been a few moments where you thought, oh, no, Fulham are going to score. Or, oh, no, Sheffield United are going to score. So it's just great to see the improvement in the team. And honestly... It, it's just a case of onwards and upwards for West Ham right now. Right now, the sort of mindset should be, we're looking up, we're not looking down. Like, yeah. We can achieve something good this season. And Moyes mentioned it in his press conference after the um, after the game against Sheffield United. He's looking up. I mean, the, considering the progress West Ham have made so far this season, I don't blame him. The team's been terrific. How long may it continue? To celebrate Black Friday, we're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just £1 a month for 12 months and you can cancel at any time. So you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including all of our podcasts ad free. We'll bring you unrivaled coverage of West Ham and the Premier League for an unbeatable price and we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. So get on this. The the writing uh, that you get from Rashane specifically about West Ham throughout the week is fantastic um and of course you get the wider stuff as well Rashane, tell us your, your favorite pieces that you've done this year well the first one that comes to mind is my feature piece on jared boren the rise of the milky bar kid that was a that was a really fun piece i put together i also enjoyed writing the column defending mark noble and why graham Seniors was wrong to say he's the reason behind west ham's failings at the time when grady de garner was sold and also have a lovely piece on Jamal Baptiste, the young player or centre-half that a lot of West Ham fans need to know about because he's coming, he's the next one to, to be aware of. And lastly, my really fun interview with uh, Diamante and why he regrets leaving West Ham uh-huh. even the years after that happened. So yeah, those are the Legend. four that you should read. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great because you get um, insights to all the stuff that's going on now at the club. But, you know, some of the stuff that looks to the future... Um, Rashane keeps a really close eye on what's going on in our academy and youth teams which is fantastic and also just some of the look backs of the past the where are they now pieces is absolutely great pound a month get on it I say this offer runs from Black Friday for just one week up until the 4th of December so don't miss out go to athletic.com slash westhampod that's athletic.com slash westhampod and pay just £1 a month for 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers only. There was some criticism that came in uh, on social media. West Ham fans, echoes of the Kerbishley or the Allardyce era, where a few people are still saying, yeah, we're winning, we're winning 1-0. 
But it's, is it any good to watch? How do you feel about that? See, I, I don't get that. I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get what people are like about what's that. I mean, the, the football's been really good. We've been like, West Ham could have scored like four goals against Sheffield United. Created so many chances. Suchek having that chance in the first half. Rise hitting the crossbar. Alain missing the chance shortly after the second half. There were so many chances. Great attacking football. And we've been seeing that a lot this season. Looking solid in defence as well. You know, the likes of Suchek and Rice initiating attacks, good driving runs from midfield, Bowen four now is doing well. I, I, it just goes to show you can't please everyone. You can't please everyone, but I don't sort of buy that narrative that the team isn't good to watch right now because West Ham are good as any other team in, in, the, in the league at the moment. I personally, you know, I guess it's horses for courses. Some people like to see, you know, the kind of ticky-tack of football of a Barcelona. You know, my personal opinion is, a, that's only really possible if you have, you know, 11 world-class technicians in your team. And B, I've always found it quite boring. I find it very dull. You send me to sleep, that Barcelona team. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, rampaging counter-attacking football, which I think is what David Moyes has tried to instill in this West Ham team, for me, is the most... A, it's the most sort of... I'm doing A and B again. Just forget the A, B thing. It's ridiculous. I just think there's two points. One is, for a team of our level, i.e. not one of the very top sides, you know, then counter-attacking with pace and strength and energy is the, our best hope of getting results in this league. And, and second of all, it's just exciting. It's buccaneering. It's cavalier. It's I love it that you know we we sit we sit back, we defend with focus and doggedness, and then we've got that thing. As soon as we win the ball on the edge of our own area, ping! There's a ball straight out to one of our pacey wingers. It's so exciting to watch, and, and you know, like you say, just so many goals that you look like you're going to hit them on the break. Finishing is um, what we're lacking at the moment in both the games against Fulham and against Sheffield United. They were both good games. I don't think we walked over either of those sides. In fact, you know, we could have drawn or lost either of those games. But we had that edge, didn't we, of one goal. It would have been nice in both games to have got a second. And uh, we certainly, I mean, against Sheffield United, we certainly had the opportunities too, didn't we? For sure. And although it was a bit frustrating that didn't score more goals, I thought plenty of positives in the fact that we were creating the chances, Sam. We were creating the chances, though, Times last season, especially under Pellegrini, where it would have been 1-0 to West Ham and then West Ham would have scored and then the defending for the rest of the game. But I didn't see that I get shaken up. I saw a team that kept bursting forward, kept creating chances, looked really good on the eye. And as you touched on, that, that will come with time. We'll definitely work on the training ground to improve finishes, especially when Antonio comes back from uh, his injury. The team will definitely score more goals. So it would have been nice, you know, get the 3-0, the 4-0 wins, but you know, that will definitely come with time. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I feel like this team has an identity. And by identity, I mean, you kind of know what the culture is. You know how we're going to set up. You know exactly, you know what the first team is. You know what the first 11 that David Moyes chooses is. You know how we approach games, different sorts of games, how we play away, how we play at home, how we play against bigger sides, how we play against small sides. There is an identity that is emerging that is based a lot around hard work, you know, um, amazing team ethic where everyone seems to be covering for each other, helping each other out. And in possession, like I say, this this, this pace and power. Um, and there's an interesting shape to the team that he's gone to this 3-5-2 formation, 
Cresswell has become so important, not just offensively, but in terms of his crossing from deep. I think that it's the first time I can really think that we've got a definitive identity since the days of Allardyce. Under Allardyce, there was a consistent identity to the way in which West Ham played. Unfortunately, none of us really liked it. It, it, I mean, I think that the accusations of it being boring, even when we were winning, were actually quite accurate back in those days. Not not all the time, but there were long periods where we were kind of an attritional side. But we did have an identity. Since then, we've chopped and changed. You know, we went through Billich. We had a great first season under Billich. But let's be honest, a lot of that was down to the fact that we'd stumbled upon somehow signing a player who, for my money, was the best player in the world for one year. Right. Um, so there's not, not really an identity beyond the fact that, oh my God, we've accidentally signed the best player in the world. Then that fizzled out. Moyes had a short spell. Pellegrini, I thought we never got going. There was never, I couldn't tell you what his plan was for West Ham. Uh, still now, I can't even see what he was trying to do. Um, so it, it feels good, doesn't it? It feels like it, it's, and for Moyes, it's the first time he, he seems to have been able to have achieved this since he left Everton. He had a method at Everton that was proven to work. It got him into the Champions League. It worked consistently for years. And since then, in the clubs he's been at, he hasn't had the chance to build that kind of thing again. But I feel that he's got the chance to do it now. And I feel that even if we lose, you know, we got Villa next, tough game. They're all tough, to use a cliche. But even if we lose now, I don't think it's like a complete rethink every time we lose, which is what it was sometimes like under Pellegrini and Bilic. It was sort of like you could lose a game and the debate on social media is, well, we've got to just get three new players or we've got to completely change the formation or whatever. You know, that's not the case anymore. Even if we lose, I don't think it's going to make a big difference to the way in which we approach our matches. Spot on, Sam. And you know what? The, nar- the narrative after the wins against Wolverhampton and Leicester City, people are like, oh, West Ham are playing well. We have an identity now, but they'll be found out. A team will find them out and they'll, they'll lose eventually. And here we are, what, six weeks later, still talking about the team playing well. And I feel like in terms of not having an identity for West Ham, that's where they sort of went wrong in, get- in terms of getting personnel and the transfer market. Signing players like, on the top of my head, someone like Sam Azri. Is he going to play left wing or central midfielder? Someone like Simone Zaza, is he going to play left wing or the striker? Now when it comes to recruitment, you know, OK, we'll get a centre midfielder to replace or be back up for Rice and Suchek. We'll get someone to be back up for Antonio. We'll get someone to challenge Masuaku. Now you can sort of think, OK, we're bringing the right personnel to challenge players now. And this will only help West Ham. And in terms of the Everton team, it's very similar in terms of the players. If you think about it, we touched it numerous times. Suchek is Moises Nufalini. You could always say his Yakubu is Antonio, his yeah. his Leon Osman is someone like a Mark Noble, his Ross Barkley, obviously a different position, but someone like a Declan Rice, young exciting player. Yeah. So Masuaku, I mean he had great attacking fullbacks, didn't he? He had Coleman yep. and Leighton Baines and um, you know, we we've got Kufau and Masuaku flying down those wings. You've got a reliable keeper in, 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 uh, in Fabianski. So, yeah, very, very similar. I feel that, you know, there's a, always there's this talk that comes up about next level and, and how we were promised this vague notion of next level when we moved stadiums. And there'll be some fans who will always believe that to mean we have to be competing for a Champions League spot. And if not, then we're falling short. But I think aspiring to that era of, of Everton 
relative success. Aspiring to that is where we should be. It's a realistic aspiration. I don't know if we'll achieve it. I think it might take a couple more years to see us getting into the top six and really delivering this consistently. You know, we're only 10 games into the season. Nine or 10, nine in fact. But, you know, I think it's going in the direction that we could aspire to, to be in a couple of years' time a top six team. I think this season you're looking at wanting to be a top half team. Next season, maybe you scrape a, a Europa League place. And then the season after, you you know, maybe you're looking a little bit higher. Uh, if we can keep it up. But it's so fragile, isn't it? I mean, we have got a thin squad. But you know, you know what, Sam? Sorry to interrupt, but I'm so happy you said that. Because quite often, a lot of West Ham fans are like, we should be challenging for Europe. We should be challenging for top four. We should be challenging for top five. I'm like, hold on a second. Calm down first. Mm. It should be <laughs> a top 10 one year, top eight the next year, and then challenge for top six the following year, like... Build, don't you can't do it all at once, you know. Build gradually, and I feel like we're starting to do that on the Moyes. And I feel like this team for for uh, for the athletic, we all have to say, you know, where we reckon the team we cover will finish. And I said I reckon West Ham will finish, you know, tenth or twelfth. And I reckon that's respectable position considering when West Ham finished last year. So if that were to happen, I'll be I'll be happy if that happens. But based on what I'm seeing right now, I definitely feel like West Ham have enough, have more than what it takes to finish in the top eight. If you look at the sides with a ton of money who are struggling and in if you look at the first nine games have not really performed any better than West Ham. If you look at Manchester United and Arsenal, these are gigantic clubs with a huge heritage who have spent huge sums on transfer and they are struggling to find any consistency. What David Moyes is delivering at West Ham at the moment is is better on much thinner resources. I'm not saying that I expect us to finish higher than both those teams in the season. I don't, to be honest. But I suppose it just shows how tough it is in the Premier League. That even if you've gone out and bought all of these um, big name signings like Manchester United have done over the years and, and Arsenal, as much as their fans complain, you know, they buy they buy big name players. They spend money. Um you know, they're really struggling. They're really struggling. And David Moyes seems to sort of, he's got a team that's a lot cheaper and he's had to literally on the whole work with what he's got. He hasn't made a huge number of signings. He's had to pick up bargains like the two Czech lads and and Boeing coming from uh, the championship. And he's had to effectively revive and retrain some of the existing stock, so to speak, the likes of Masuaku and Antonio, he's had to take them and put the hard yards in rather than the Pellegrini way, which is don't really fancy him in training. I need 40 million quid to buy a replacement on a whim. This is David Moyes doing it the old fashioned way and thinking, well, we haven't got a decent, consistent striker. Maybe I can convert that winger into a consistent striker. It's great management, but what he's really done is he's sending us into games where we're extremely hard to score against, extremely hard to beat. And I think even the biggest clubs like your Manchester United and Arsenal's would, would, you know, they'd kill for a team like that at the moment where they think, well, no matter what else happens, we know that it's going to be extremely difficult for the opposition to score against us. And uh, then all we have to worry about is creating chances and and the goals will come. It's, It's very encouraging. I mean, I suppose the only thing that we've got to worry about now, uh, which everyone's been worrying about since the transfer window shut, is the thinness of our squad. People have said it all along that we're a couple of injuries away from seeing a dip in form, particularly, I guess, in the midfield. Um, but there are these our bench every week looks decent at the moment. Someone actually tweeted got in touch said what we asked what what we thought 
actually specifically asked what you thought. By the way, Rashane is on Twitter. Rashane, <laughs> Rashane's uh, sport, right? Um, but they, you know, I think now you're too big time for them to talk to you directly. <laughs> so I am happy to play the role of PA. And someone asked me to ask you what what you thought the impact on the squad players was that Moyes doesn't rotate and he sticks to a winning team. I think he mentioned the likes of Snodgrass, Noble, Yarmolenko, Lanzini. These are big name senior players and they're not getting a sniff. Um, ben Rama must be looking around thinking, especially like the fact that when he did make a substitution um, against Sheffield United Moyes, it was Lanzini he brought on. Um, I can't remember who he took off. Was it for now? Uh, yeah, Fornals for Lanzini. So when Fornals is coming off, you expect Ben Rama to be the guy replacing him. So Ben Rama must be feeling a bit frustrated as well. Uh, what What do you think the atmosphere in the squad might be around that? I still think the atmosphere in the squad would be one of like everyone being happy. If If you're a player like Ben Rama or Snodgrass, you're not playing. Surely, I mean, I never played football to a high level. Like, I, I was, to be honest, I was crap at playing football. I'll, I'll pull out of it. I was terrible. But when I did play right and I wasn't involved. That motivated me more to try and impress the manager to say, hey, this is why I should be playing. And I feel like that element of competition would be good for West Ham right now. If you're a Snodgrass or a Noble, you're not going to play week in, week out because you're at that age in your career now where you're sort of, you're sort of making that transition to, you know, life after football retirement, a bit of coaching. Snodgrass is 33, Noble is 32, if I'm not mistaken. So we're not going to be playing week in, week out. The only player I feel like on the bench who sort of merits a starting place is Ben Rama, really. And a lot of people ask me, you know, especially in Q&As, you know, why is not playing Ben Rama? He should be starting. And I'm like, hey, you think about when Jared Bowen first joined West Ham. Moyes is also initially a bit reluctant to put him in a starting eleven. He wanted him to get used to training and get used to set up in the Premier League and then put him in. So Ben Rama will get his chance. There's no doubt about that. He will get his chance. Just has to buy his time a little bit, you know, believe believe in the system, and then things will come good for him. The only player I feel like could be a bit annoyed and not starting right now is it's a Diop. Yeah. This is a player who Jose Mourinho called a monster. A player yeah. was linked to the likes of Man United, Chelsea, and it seemed like he was going to be, barring Declamise, of course, he was going to be, you know, one of the departures. Yeah. And now you have someone like Barbregan who's come out of nowhere, with all due respect, taking his spot. Ogbonna... Well, we all know Barnett was going to be the starting eleven anyway. And then you've got Cresswell, he's sort of converted into a centre-back. So that's the only player I feel like is going to be a bit annoying not being a starting eleven. I mean, Diop, if you go back a year, 18 months, the idea that we would be playing with three centre-backs and he wouldn't be one of them. And and one of them would be like, you know, uh, uh, someone who's short, who's, who's below six foot and a converted left-back is in the team ahead of him. Be astonished because he was, for a while, he looked like by a mile up, our number one centre-back before Ogbonna had this remarkable sort of renaissance in form. But I think Moyes is right. I think, you know, particularly in defence, it's about shape, communication and consistency, isn't it? I mean, you look back at the great defences like Arsenal's famous, you know, back four, back five in, uh, in, in their seasons under both George Graham and Arsene Wenger. You know, the consistency, the fact that they all knew each other and, and where they had to stand at what point was, was what their secret was. And I, I think he's absolutely right. We're playing with this new system. Those three have hit a run of form together. And I just think, you know, it, it has to continue as it is. At one point, there will be an injury or a suspension. And isn't it brilliant that we've got a player of Diop's quality sitting on the bench if one of those three does pick up a knock? And, and you know what? I hope with Diop's time out of starting eleven, I hope he'll look at himself and you know look at areas he needs to work on because 
my frustration with Diop last season in particular was the, you know the mistakes he was making my mind goes back to that draw against uh, at home against Brighton Diop and Bonner sort of like different in the ball and then Pascal Gross scored so Diop he's a good player but he does need to like improve his concentration so I hope his this time out of starting level will help him you know work on game work on the part of his game he needs to improve the most I don't know if you were uh, watching on Sky at the weekend, but Patrice Evra really hung out poor old Jared Bowen to dry at half-time. Did you see that? I didn't. Well, sometimes Patrice Evra is is like babbling in a sense that I, it's my problem, not his. His English is good. Uh, I find it hard to keep up with. I find, I find it hard to keep track of what he's going. But I thought he was saying that he really liked Bowen, thought he was a good player, but he said, but I will tell you, he goes, he's a good player. I like him. He's positive. He's aggressive. He creates chances. But I will tell you, every time when he gets into a situation in the era, he makes the wrong decision. He goes, I've watched it. And this was when he had shot, I think, rather than yeah, square the ball. Yeah. And he goes, and he goes, he does it every time he makes the wrong decision. Every time he goes, I knew he'd do it. And I thought, all right, mate, you've made your point. Poor old Jared Bowen, bloody hell. Poor bloke. He's, I mean, Jared Bowen, of all people, he puts a shift in like no one else. He's up and down yeah. that wing. He plays about three positions. Like half the time he's playing right wing, right back and yeah. centre forward. And yeah. I felt really bad for him. But then obviously these plant seeds in your head. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, he gets a lot of the ball. He runs around a lot. He, you know, he scored a couple of great goals. We all like him, but maybe that is an area that he needs to, to look at in his game because it is true that we do get ourselves in a lot of good positions in most games, but I don't think our goals to chance ratio is high enough. Um, I don't know. I felt bad for him, but do you think there's any truth in it? That's a great point. And you know what? When it comes to Fornals and Bowen... When you think about it, they're both sort of bad when it comes to that final ball. Mm. I feel like when it comes to Bowen, the reason why he's sort of bad at making that final pass is that in a respectful way, Bowen's just greedy. <laughs> yeah, Bowen's I think he's just, always yeah. looking for the goal, isn't yeah. he? He's looking for the goal. And I have no I have like no qualms about it. I have no, you know, frustration mm. with him doing that because at the end of the day, he wants to score goals. He wants to score goals and the second thought is to make the pass. When it mm. comes to four nows, he doesn't really get his head up. I feel like yeah. well, that's why he doesn't mean like that. Uh, there, was a, there was a chance the second half, right? Four nows on the left flank, and then, oh, Allah was in acres of space. And you're thinking, pass, make the pass. And four nows didn't make that pass. So <laughs> it comes down to they're both not great when it comes to that final ball. And it's not for the same reason. It's, got, it's boring, he's a bit greedy, and it's four nows. You just need to get your head up more. That's where I think about the damage that Ben Rama could do if he got a yeah. chance in the team. It's, it's tantalising to think about because you sort of think, Okay, I don't think we should change this side. Everyone knows their job. They're doing it well. It would be too much of a gamble to change the team. But at the same time, the way in which we were struggling to score against Fulham until Ben Rama had that composure in the box to just roll a simple pass into um, into the path of Suchek to score, it was, you know, you look at it and you think, this is a guy who knows exactly what to do. He knows when to shoot, when to pass, and he can pull it off too. The technique he's got and the vision he's got is uh, possibly the best in our squad. And ditto Yarmolenko. You know, Yarmolenko is never going to put in the work that Bowen does. And so Moyes is always going to pick Bowen. And I understand that. I probably would too. But in those killer situations, the composure and skill of uh, Yarmolenko 
would mean that Yarmolenko would either play the pass or if he shot, what he wouldn't do is what Bowen sometimes do does, which is get his head over the ball and blast it and hope that it powers in. Yarmolenko would find it, would pick his spot and bend it in there. But, you know, again, these are these are great problems to have, aren't they? These are luxuries because you think, wow, to have Ben Rama and Yarmolenko sitting on the bench when we're struggling to break through um, a resilient defence is, is amazing for a club like us. Definitely amazing. Someone like Yarmolenko is a bit, the, the analogy I can think of is a bit like using one of those roulette machines. You're thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's worth it here. And then once you do it, you, it's a high reward, the high reward of a goal, yeah. which is, which is Yarmolenko. Some people um, get so frustrated by him, but I love him. I see him as like a maverick genius yeah. in, in the tradition of players we've had, like Di Canio and Pierre. I, I, I don't think, you know, he's on, on that level, but I think he's certainly in that, in that tradition. Some of the things he does with the ball are the sort of things that when I was a kid, you'd only see during World Cups. You know, you'd just see players who, who just were operating on a completely different level to anything in those days you'd see in the English league, you know, and he can be like that. But like a lot of those players, he is a throwback, actually, like to the days when there were so-called luxury players, you don't get them anymore. But, you know, your Glenn Hoddle type character, it's a bit like that, you know, because he's sort of got this lackadaisical way of moving around the pitch. But is 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 some of the passes he pulls off are outrageous, and, and you know what doesn't get highlighted enough? Yeah, better than my Yarmolenko doesn't start every game. I never hear this guy complain. No, that's I true. Never, I never hear complain about not being a starting eleven, and I feel like at this point in his career, he's thirty-one right now. He knows he's not going to be, you know, at one of these highly European clubs like previously the case at Borussia Dortmund. He knows that's not where he's at to put in his career. So I feel like he's sort of happy to have that role to, you know, have an impact off the bench, start every now and then. And, you know, that's a good, it's good to have that sort of, you know, playing a team who's not thinking, me, 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 I should be starting every week. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Masuaku had a sort of a mixed game, I thought. They, were, they clearly had targeted Masuaku. All of their attacks, Sheffield United's attacks, um, were coming down, especially in the first half, were coming down his side. And they'd obviously, you know, Wilder and the coaching team had obviously sort of looked at some videos and thought, right, this is where they're weak. Masuaku's good going forward, but he leaves space behind him. And they did create some decent chances out of that tactic. However, on the other hand, some of the things he did in in attack, you know, there was a little nutmeg pass in there. 
there was an outrageous turn that I don't yep. even have the language to yep. explain. Right? You, if you've seen it, you've seen it, yeah. right? There's no way I can explain to you what he did or how, but he did an outrageous turn. Some of the skills he pulls out yeah. are incredible, but clearly there are, you know, if Wilder spotted it, there will be other managers doing the same. They'll be looking at it and thinking, we need to go aggressive at them down that flank. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of his performance? You know, I actually sort of slightly disagree. I thought he was just... I, I thought it was great, to be honest. I thought it was mm. really good. Like, I, to be honest, I was giving him a standing ovation at half time. I was yeah. like, Masuaku, you are looking a threat, my friend. You yeah. are, you know, I'm just, I'm so happy for him. Honestly, yeah. Sam, I'm so yeah. happy for him. The way this guy has turned it around. Last season, I was like, why on earth is Masuaku starting? This guy should be nowhere near the starting level. Yeah. Like, this guy is not good enough. He is a liability at times for West Ham. Obviously, West Ham play Aston Villa next, right? Not the return fixture, but the goalless draw at, at, at Villa Park. Masuaki got sent off in that match. I'm not sure if you remember, and I'm thinking, this guy, again, letting down the team. And his transformation since then to becoming one of the first names on the team sheet and just doing so well. Like, I can't think of uh, a turnaround like that, honestly. It's been so good. And again, touching on the game, he was terrific. Really good going forward. Could have been a bit better in defence, but that's a massive wacky. We know that's how he is. So, yeah, I thought it was a great performance and plenty for him. Got to hand it from. to Moyes, right? I mean, oh, big time. The, and Stuart Pearce. And Stuart Pearce, like the, what they've brought out of him. I mean, he, I mean, there are a lot of people say, I don't know if you agree, it, it, you know, so far he's probably hammer of the season. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. You know what? He's in contention. Definitely in contention, that's for sure. Mm. Definitely in contention. If there, was if, a, it, if there was a reward, right, the Premier League were to do like for most improved player, he would definitely be. Yeah, <laughs> definitely be. Yeah. One of well, the yeah, in the whole Premier League, I think we'd have two of the top nominees because it'd be yeah. him and Antonio. I mean, I always liked Antonio, but I mean, the level at which he's due. The boring answer to him in the season so far, though, unfortunately, it is boring, but it's just inescapable. It's Declan Rice. I mean, Declan Rice, we almost don't pick him out that often when we do these podcasts because it's just become so predictable. And also the way in which he plays is unspectacular. So I'm sitting there, my son, who's eight years old and a West Ham fanatic. And of course, he loves Masuaku because this is the FIFA generation. You know, he loves Masuaku because of the skills. He loves to watch Antonio. He's desperate to see Ben Rama get on the field, right? So in a way, he's not noticing the the how incredible our captain is because you don't at that age. I mean, I'm trying not to patronise the kid, but I'm going, look, just spend some time focusing on what Declan Rice does. When he gets the ball, he never, ever gives it away. And when we lose the ball, I mean, when they look like they're going to break and they're in a... Uh, uh, the amount of times that he just steps in out of nowhere and and very, almost without much fuss, just literally takes the ball off them in a, with a kind of an attitude of, I'll have that yeah. on your way. Yep. <laughs> yep. Unbelievable uh, player. Unbelievable player, isn't he? For my piece on Monday, right, I said, what I love most about Declan Rice, he makes you appreciate the, the simple things in life. Mm. <laughs> and that's De it's Declan Rice to a T. When Declan Rice makes a tackle, I sort of celebrate the same way I celebrate a goal. Because yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just Declan Rice. De yeah. What I find just so mind-boggling, this guy is 21, Sam. I know. He's 21 and he's this good. Imagine how, just imagine like his potential when he reaches, you know, 28, 27, where he, he understands the role a bit more, perhaps chips in with a few more goals. Oh yeah, my that, goodness. That'll be the key thing he adds to his game. And I I predict that what he'll do is, you know, at the moment for England in particular and, and for us too, to an extent, he is just that sitting midfielder and he's brilliant at it. But he will become someone who 
I think he's got the potential to be like a a, a sort of a Gerard, you know, who can because Gerard when he first started at Liverpool was more of a sitting holding midfielder, and and then he became this box to box guy. And I think if that's Rice can be that if he wants. I think he'll add he'll add goals to his game, consistent goals. He scored for England, of course, in the week. He's got an incredible shot on him, so we can see him scoring from outside the area as well as headers inside of it. I think he could be all over the place. It depends who you're playing with. Like he's got Suchet next to him at the moment, who himself is box to box, so you can't have them both going. So Rice sort of sacrifices that element of his game a bit. But, you know, it, it depends whether it's with us or England or, you know, unfortunately, if he ends up at another club, it might be if you sat him next to someone who's just an all-out defensive midfielder, we, we see him other capabilities. But I think he'll be England captain, you know, sooner rather than later. And I think he'll, he'll be a... You know, a cons- one of the legendary England captains. He'll be like a Brian Robson who, who, you know, leads the team out a lot. And who knows what club he'll end up at. Hopefully, he'll win the Champions League with West Ham and we'll never yeah. have to say goodbye <laughs> yeah. to him. <laughs> yeah. I'm also of the opinion he'll definitely be a future England captain. Uh, what I'm sort of enjoying most is that he's starting to be appreciated more by like, other fans. Yeah. Usually, it's a case of, oh, Declan Rice, he plays for West Ham. Who is this guy? He's overrated. Yeah. A poor man's Owen Hargreaves. What yeah. on earth are you guys talking about? But yeah. bear in mind, he scored for England in uh, international break against Iceland. People are like, oh, okay, this guy's actually good. Mm. My opinion, better than Harry Winks, better than Eric Dyer and all the other oh, alternatives that made that, that yeah. defensive midfielder role. Definitely. He, his name right now is probably one of the first names of the team sheet for England's. Uh, first group stage game next I well, England's summer. midfield obviously I don't really care about England because no. <laughs> it's boring but uh, I didn't really watch games I saw some of the goals but I mean you know England's midfield with him I mean him and Grealish t- probably two best midfielders in the Premier League at the moment I would say and they're both English and then you've got uh, Foden as well this is a decent midfield England have got uh, for the future isn't it yeah in terms of um Grealish and, and Rice. Funny how they both played for Ireland's youth team. <laughs> I, know, I know, it's outrageous. I, I mean, listen, you know, uh, as a man who's trying to apply for his Irish passport at the moment, I am, you know, on behalf of the Irish side of my heritage, I am fuming because that is a world-class midfield right there. <laughs> it started out in green shirts. So, I mean, it's outrageous, really. Let's look ahead a little bit to transfer window because it's not that far off now. And um, obviously, there are rumours already floating about. Um, Halla, we haven't talked about Halla, but I mean, we talk about everyone talks about Halla after every game. It's the main talking point. It was a good goal. I thought his performance was good. He should have got an assist. And, it, you know, if if Suchek had finished from his like lovely, gentle knockdown, then people would have been raving even more because you would have thought, well, he's he's delivered a fantastic assist and scored a classic goal. So he did well. My personal opinion, though, is that I don't think Moy. I think Moyes is having to pick him because, you know, Antonio's out and there's no one else. I don't think... I, I think that both Moyes and Sullivan will be looking at Jenner and thinking if a Bundesliga team come in, and, and I would assume it would be a Bundesliga team because he obviously performs so well there for Frankfurt and want to take him on loan for half a season, then what we do is we get a massive... Um, amount of money off of our wage bill and we put him back in the shop window which might if he has a fantastic season back in the Bundesliga maybe playing for a team in the Europa League it it might just earn us our £45 million back come the summer because I think however well he's doing at the moment and he is improving from one game to the next I think however well he does he's never really 
it's very unlikely he's going to work his way back to being our first choice number nine. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I've got a feeling we might let him go on loan if the opportunity arises and, and use some of the wages that frees up to go back for Josh King. Do you think there's a, any possibility of that? Yeah, but to be honest, that could happen because the Josh King rumour is, is still, it's not going away. It's mm. not going away. It's still there. When I think, when I like, compare Gunchast, um, Josh King, Sebastian Allaire, obviously we're very different and in, in the sense that Josh King is more versatile. He can play on the flank, he can, he can play up front and... I think all around he's more of a consistent goal scorer than Sebastian Allaire. He has a similar work rate to Antonio, which is good. Pressing defenders, which we sort of need. And the way I think of someone like Sebastian Allaire is, I think of someone like a Berbatov in terms of his playing style. You know, can be perceived to be very lethargic and whatnot. But the fact is, Berbatov was able to back it up with goals. Yeah. With Sebastian Allaire, we don't really see it on a regular basis. Hence why West Ham fans get really frustrated. And yeah, that's a rumour which wasn't going away, and that could be something that West Ham looks to do in January. What are the other rumours flying around? More, more, um, more people looking to the Czech Republic, right? Yeah, there's been a player at West Ham been linked to Spartak Moscow midfielder called Alex Kral. Uh, he had the same agent as Vladimir Kufal, right? And his valuations in the region between twelve to fifteen million. And it's you know a player West Ham are looking at, but not as a thirteen regular, more so as a backup for Rice and Suchek. And again, it got to show like the team are looking at the sort of Czech Republic market and thinking, yeah, we can tap into this. I remember previously at one point West Ham was signing Brazilians like every day of the week, it seemed. There's so many Brazilians that West Ham was signing at one point and it didn't work out. But it seemed like we find, <laughs> you're laughing because it's so true. <laughs> but it seems like now we've found a really like good market in Czech yeah, Republic. Yeah, I mean, at first it seemed mad. But having said that, maybe there's some logic in it because they think, hang on, we've picked up. I mean, those are incredible bargains, those two players, because, you know, Kufal and Suchek are two... I mean, think how long it takes for some players to adapt to the Premier League, right? Think how long it's taken Haller and Philippe Anderson, you know, huge money signings to adapt to the Premier League. And they both already played in top-flight European leagues and succeeded, right? These two lads have just, you know, they have not... they played in the Czech League, which is not a top-flight league, right? And they have come in and they haven't missed a beat. I mean, I think Kufau played 24 hours after signing for us. I can't remember who it was against, but he had a, a really good game. Um, and, you know, obviously Suchek from day one has been great as well. So maybe there's something culturally in the way in which the players are coached in the Czech Republic. I don't know. And there's also something in the idea that if you've already got the more you get, um, the more comfortable these players feel. You know, like when Wenger first started bringing a lot of French players into the club um, at Arsenal and there was this sort of Anglo-French culture built up and it was just easier for each subsequent player he bought. So if he does sign another Czech Republic player, he's coming in, he's got two lads who already speak his language and know the ropes a bit there. So maybe it's just, maybe it is a stroke of genius. Yeah, it could be, and... As you touched on, we both have done really well, so I can't blame Moyes for looking into that market and thinking, yeah, we, we, it's worked for us t uh, on two occasions, why not? Why won't it work for a third occasion? Another player that West Ham have been linked to is a left back called Kai Wagner. He plays for Philadelphia Union in, uh, in America for the MLS. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of a transfer I can see West Ham doing for the simple fact that we could do uh, a backup for Masawaku. Because if he gets injured, God forbid. I mean, I'm touching wood right now because he's in such great form. I hope it doesn't happen. But if he were to get injury, 
you sort of see Cresswell playing that role and then that frees up Ogbonna. So it'd be yeah. good to have another option in left back. He's 23, born in Germany, but yeah, player West Ham also, right? So that's another deal they can look to do in January. It would be a big shift around that, wouldn't it? If Masuaku was out, Cresswell goes left wing back, Diop comes into the, the defence. I'm not so worried about Diop coming in. We're saying that's, a, I've already said that's a you know good option to have. But Cresswell, who's having one of the best seasons of his career right now, um, if he, you know, difference between him playing in that central role with licence to push up a little bit and actually having to run the hard yards up all the way up and down the wing, um, like Masuaku does, it, it would have a big impact on us, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I can just imagine Cresswell would just be knackered by hard time <laughs> if you yeah. had to do that role. Yeah, um, I think that uh, covering there in central midfield, if you look at our squad, that's where injuries would hurt us most at the moment, wouldn't they? I reckon more so midfield because Rice and Cedric have the energy and if they were to get an injury, the alternative would be Mark Noble. Obviously, we know Mark Noble's been a great talent for the club, but he doesn't have the legs anymore mm. to, do, to do that role. And let's say they both get injured. You're looking at Snodgrass and Noble playing in midfield and it's just completely different. And Unless, you know, he, he could look at Lanzini or even Fornell shifting across and filling one of those two roles, possibly. Um, still, though, slightly more lightweight than what we've got. What I like is the fact that you look at our central midfield and there's two giants in there, like who are just physically intimidating to the opposition, which is nice because West Ham, you know, so often have had been a team who were regarded as having a soft underbelly. They don't anymore, that's for sure. I, I actually can't think of a better midfield duo in the Premier League right now than Rice and Suchek. Honestly, wow. I can't. Can't think of a better midfield duo. Yeah, well, we're getting carried away. Uh, but, luck, but luckily, there are no. There's only West Ham fans listening to this podcast, so I agree with you. Um, I think that's true. Uh, someone I can't remember who put it best on Facebook after the game on um, on Sunday by saying, "What I like about this team is they look like they got a bit of bollocks about them," and uh, I think that's true. And it's something that we haven't seen in a while. So long may it continue. Um, how do you feel about Villa before we, we wrap things up? I mean, you never know what you're going to get with Villa, do you? They've, they've been turned over a few times, but also, you know, they've, they've popped up and pulled off incredible results, including the result of the season, if not the decade so far, um, against Liverpool. Uh, what do you reckon? I reckon it'll be similar to the Sheffield United game. Tough, but, you know, we'll go out and get a result. And it'll be great to win the game against Villa for the simple fact the game after that is against United. And mm. I'll just love it if, if Moyes could get over against one of his former clubs in United that yeah. you know, perhaps didn't treat him well. I'll just love it if that were to happen. I sound like Kevin Keegan here. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, feel, I weirdly feel slightly more confident at the moment about United than I do about Villa. Don't know why. Mm. United are a vulnerable team. Yeah. Villa have got this threat, haven't they? Like Grealish and Ollie Watkins. And Ollie Watkins is a player who's linked to us for so long that I have this superstition that it's like if it's a player who's linked to us for a long time and ends up elsewhere, they will definitely score against us <laughs> to show us what we missed. Yeah, show us what we missed. So, yeah, that's, that's a good shot. And similar to, to West Ham, Villa also looked good in the break, as you touched on Watkins mm. and Grealish, and also Russ Barkley. That's another yeah, player that's also, well. also been linked to us as well, funny enough. Yeah, he'll get so, one. So, yeah, it'll be a tough one, but I reckon, I reckon West Ham will grind out and get a result. Well, these are exciting times. Savour them, people, because um, from my experience, they don't always last as long as you'd like them to. So it's really important to every day wake up and think, West Ham have just come off the back of two 1-0 wins and are sitting eighth in the Premier League. Who knows where it'll go from here? Um, I don't want to be the voice of doom. All I'm saying is 
savour every moment of it. We're delighted that you've chosen to do so in our company for the last half an hour or so. Uh, please stay in touch with us both on Twitter. I'm at Delaney Man and Rashane's at Rashane Sport. And of course, you can read Rashane's writing in The Athletic every day. Um, there's fantastic stories coming on The Athletic every day around West Ham and the wider footballing world. Um, so get yourself on there and get subscribed. Rashane, what you got coming up for us this week? Tomorrow there will be a piece on what's it like to be released by West Ham. Obviously, every young player aspires to become a footballer, play for England and all that good stuff. But sometimes it doesn't it doesn't go to plan. And I spoke to Matt Carter, another player called Ben Marlow, and they just spoke about you know the struggles they enjoyed being released and effectively living in the, the normal world. Me and you are living in now, Sam. So that's a piece I really enjoyed writing. So you'll read that tomorrow. And on Friday, the, I mean the 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 more double affair continues. I'm gonna write a piece about why people are wrong to write him off. And yeah, the good work you're doing at West Ham. Uh, well, we will look forward to that. It sounds fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Rashane, have a great week. Can't wait to speak to you again after the Villa game with hopefully another three points in the bag. Until next time, ladies and gents, come on your irons. And remember, there's only one. Samasia Boo! Samasia Boo!